Hello, guys. Welcome to episode 10 of In the Zone. I'm Giancarlo Alino with the co-host Anthony Piniello, Chris Martelli. We're now available on Spotify. That's new, guys. iTunes, Google Play, and more. We're going to start this off today with some wrestling talk. Good old wrestling. Oh, yeah. Got to love some good old wrestling because on Monday Night Raw, we saw a lot of things. We saw some new champions. We'll get into that later. Uh, New titles unveiled also later. We'll get that into. But first... This Raw was built heavily around Finn Balor, so he had two matches. He had his qualifying match, and then he had his fatal four-way match. What are you guys' thoughts on how they built Finn Balor on Monday Night Raw? I just love how they had to throw Jinder in there, <laughs> just because they're okay. switching things up. But yeah, a lot of people, it's hard to tell if this push is the real deal for Finn, or if it's just like kind of a filler feud for Lesnar. I think they're going all in for him. And I am excited to see where they're going because Finn Balor is one of the best wrestlers in the world and he has not been treated like it the last few years. So I'm excited. I mean, after I'd say what, like five weeks straight of bad television on Raw, they finally kind of got it right with this whole show. I thought this show was excellent. Um, Again, like you said, with the whole gender thing, I think they kind of had to bring him in because of the 2017 year he had. You know, he was the WWE champion. I guess he kind of wanted to just remind people of his relevance a couple years ago but again it is 2019 now and we all know how his 2018 was but it's great to see Finn Balor finally get his moment again uh the last time he was in a main main event feud it was 2016 and we all know what happened he got injured and then the rest was history so it's great to see Finn face Brock Lesnar again do I know uh, do I think it's a filler feud? Um, I have no idea because of the whole Braun Strowman incident and his promo was very bad and, um, you know, he's not clear to compete. So I feel like if Braun Strowman was clear to compete, I don't even know if they would really push Finn right now. Um, but again, I've also heard a lot of rumblings that if he doesn't win uh, at the Royal Rumble, he inserts himself in the Rumble and potentially wins that. So WWE right now, they are smart with Finn Balor because we all know that AEW, they want to steal as much talent as possible. And when you push Finn Balor, at least right now, at this moment, he won't want to leave the company. So I think Finn Balor uh, facing Brock Lesnar is a perfect opponent for for Brock Lesnar. We've seen him put on great matches with AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan. You know, he likes working the guys that prove to be one of the best in the industry. And that's Finn Balor. So my biggest question to both of you guys is, um, does Finn Balor come out as the demon come Royal Rumble and slay the beast? Or do we just get a happy-go-lucky Finn Balor going in against Brock and come up short? I have no idea. But it's um, the Fatal 4-Way on Raw was great. If you guys haven't watched it, I recommend you guys do. John Cena did his typical lame-ass thing after the match, steal the spotlight, and congrats, <laughs> congratulate Finn Balor. But the one thing I got to give John Cena credit for over the last couple of years is he's been taking a lot of pinfalls yeah. and he has been putting over talent. So good for John in that in that regard. But I'm happy to see Finn Balor finally get his moment. Hopefully this isn't just a tease. Uh, <clears throat> backtracking a little, I can kind of see him coming in as the happy-go-lucky guy, you know, coming so close and then losing and then coming out as that demon character in the Rumble since they have been revolving raw round Balor he's been starting and ending the show the last month or so so I don't think things will change at the rumble I mean uh I think with Finn Balor's position right now on raw it kind of makes people underestimate Drew now because everyone was all about Drew about a month and a half ago and now it's like everyone's all about Finn Balor but I would still watch out for Drew I still think Drew is a top three choice for the rumble this year 
I could see him winning it. I could see him facing Brock or Finn, for that matter, come WrestleMania. So I don't know. Um, I, I think that uh, Finn Balor definitely could win the Rumble if he doesn't beat Brock. But again, don't count Drew out yet. Would He's those, been a little uh, quiet. Would those be the two guys from Raw? Because they, uh, Finn's been getting his push because of Drew after those yeah. string of wins over him the last month. I mean, uh, I'll save like the Royal Rumble favorites for next week. But um, for me, the big three that or the big four now that are kind of for me uh, on Raw is obviously the two Shield members and Dean and Seth, and then Finn and Drew. I think are the top four right now in the in on Raw and. Um, again, I, I don't want to talk too much about the Rumble. We'll talk about that next week. But I'm very excited to see Finn face Lesnar. I think that's going to be uh, an outstanding match. Yeah, you brought up uh, sorry, you brought up Dean and Seth, and uh, that match on Raw. We talk about title changes. The new Intercontinental Champion we saw is the Man of the Hour, the Dominator, the Man, my Man, Bobby Lashley. So <laughs> he's now the Intercontinental Champion. These guys actually had a really good match. Like, especially they've never... I don't think they've had a three-way before Lashley, Rollins, and Ambrose. So, all that considered, they worked well together, had great chemistry. And uh, I heard now um, that Bobby Lashley now for the IC title, his next opponent, you guys are going to like this, a returning Canadian superstar, Kevin Owens. After the Rumble, that looks like the feud. That's why Bobby Lashley got the title. So... What do you guys think about the Intercontinental title finally being back to prominence with these two guys about to fight over it? Justice will finally be served once KO Mania <laughs> returns. My favorite part about that match, though, was uh, when he won it and the reaction on Leo Rush's face. <laughs> it was like they both just won the like they, like a world title victory. Like I haven't seen that in a while out of the IC title, showing how much prestige it means. And, you know, those two going at it can really be something. And there's obviously a history there with... Lashley taking Owens out about six or seven months ago. So should definitely be fun. It's going to be interesting for sure because, again, the tables have turned and that Lashley is now the cro- the cocky, braggy champion. And now Kevin Owens is coming back. We've seen some pictures, at least I have, that have been leaked. And, you know, we got now new ink. He's lost some weight. You know, he looks pretty good. So uh, does he come back a face? I have no idea. Does he come back a heel? Does he come back just maybe as a prize fighting as uh, the prize fighter, but like he's a tweener, like he's yeah, not a heel, he's not a face. So uh, I'm excited to see what what takes place come WrestleMania time with the IC title. Like you said, I don't think the IC title has been relevant for quite some time because they've kind of been focusing on Seth and Dean as like a singles feud. Like yeah. even when the belt was on the line, it was not really about the belt. It was just about the animosity between the two. So now having Lashley as that fighting champion and that you know, he hasn't held the title in 12 years in the WWE, so I got to give him credit for that. It was a fantastic match. I guess you could say here that Dean and Seth kind of, you know, they redeemed themselves from yeah. the poor match at TLC. So that was good to see. But if if that's the case with Kevin Owens and Bobby Lashley, um, you know, going on a collision course for the Intercontinental title come WrestleMania, I want to know what's happening with Dean Ambrose because I have no idea what, what's in the cards for him i mean does he face a future call-up like i have no idea so um the intercontinental title for me right now it's uh i'm very invested in it because leo rush is money bobby lashley is money and now the ic title is money (laughs) smells like money hit him with that pose (laughs) but uh so the other titles now that were unveiled were alexa bliss came out the moment of bliss with paul Heyman, and uh she finally unveiled those new wwe women's tag titles that 
I think are going to be on both shows now because at Elimination Chamber, they got three teams from Raw, three teams from SmackDown going to fight for the first titles. And these titles actually look nice considering what their other titles. It's not red. It's not neon blue. So we're good on that. And so what do you guys think? Who should be in this match? Because I think, like, Sasha and Bailey to me and the Iconics. But what are some of the other teams you want to see? Uh, before I get into it, when I saw those titles, doesn't it kind of look like a New Japan Type yeah, like title, I got like a TNA vibe. Just, or that, yeah. It's it. It doesn't yeah. look like a WWE title. When I saw it, I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting with the white and the yellow. I was like, all right, that's pretty interesting. Um, I I want to see Natalia in it. I don't know with who. Um, you can't say Ronda Rousey. Um, if this means that we're gonna get like the Iconics or uh, the the hug connect the Boston hug connection to win. I'm all for it, but again, uh, you said there's six teams. Yeah, three from each. I'm not gonna lie; I don't even think I can name four right now. So uh, they're gonna have to start creating tag teams in the next. Uh, what? When's the chamber? February. Yeah, February. So in, in about a month's time, I think you gotta kind of start making some tag teams. But yeah, I think the favorites to win it are Sasha and Bailey, and I think that's gonna happen. I need the Riot Squad in there. Because over the last, whenever the hell they came up, they've been the only cohesive unit. Everyone else seems to, certain little problems get in the way. These are the only three ladies that seem to stick together. It really doesn't matter which two. That will be, uh, they, they should be heavily favored for that match. I think I would do, if, it, if I were to do the Riot Squad, I would put probably Ruby Riot and maybe Sarah Logan for now. Because I still feel like Logan and Morgan are still really green. They are. Like, they're not really developed yet. But Ruby can definitely... Do you think they'll do the free bird rule, though? Like what New Day does? They'll just swap, swatch... Yeah, yeah. I think think, think that's a possibility. But, um, yeah, you know what? I think they could... Yeah, I think they'll do that, actually. That'd be a good idea. But Ruby would definitely be the headliner there. She would definitely carry most of it. And then you have Liv and Sarah just basically mooch a title, their first title. And then you kind (laughs) of run with that and see what happens. But... I still think uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey are basically lock on favorites to win it. I mean, they bring the star power. They're one of the best in the ring. I think it's a perfect start to a tag division for them. You should throw some love at uh, Mandy and Sonia. Because oh, yeah. the last little while, the, the Naomi storyline. Yeah, Mandy's been a little so. busy uh, trying to get Jimmy <laughs> to leave his marriage. <laughs> it's not the most ideal, but they are being featured every week, which goes to show that maybe... Mandy for sure, but both of them in line, yeah. or should be in line for a big push. That gives me old school vibes yeah. when I when I see that that uh, that feud. I'm like, uh, what is this? this? Is like 2005? What is Car- <laughs> was this a uh, Candice Michelle? Like, but uh, yeah, you know what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville get some love. Maybe they're in the finals. Uh, but SmackDown, the tag division, they're filled with heels. So yeah. um, I'd basically give it to. For the Raw side, at least, for now, I would just hold off on the Riot Squad and I'd give it to Sasha Banks and Bailey, and maybe they would face maybe Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. I think that'd maybe be the best option. Or unless you go all in with the Iconics right away because they are pretty entertaining and Peyton Royce, is she's money. So uh, I've been saying money a lot in this video. Yeah, Leo Rush <laughs> sponsoring our podcast. <laughs> but yeah, the, the titles look great. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, if it delivers and because the women obviously they've been changing the game for two three years so um you know it's another new chapter for women's wrestling and i'm looking forward to it speaking of all in uh after raw there was uh, a tag team that requested the release the revival they were victorious on raw 
they had their little trunks of hashtag FTR, which uh, later everyone found out they trademarked on January 1st, the same day that All Elite Wrestling announced that they were uh, like a promotion. So Dash Wilder, Scott Dawson, we're going to slowly already been planting the seeds for a little while. And then there was also another star, Mike Kanellis and his wife, Maria. They They actually requested the release too. Dolph Ziggler, we're hearing now, isn't too thrilled of being in WWE anymore. How many more talents are going to be taking their like stardom to All Elite? I think over time you're going to see a lot of people maybe jump ship. Uh, the fact that they can <laughs> match uh, WWE's contracts too, like a lot of guys are getting six figures there already. That's so, big. And a team like The Revival... That's like, money! <laughs> <laughs> over the last year or so, uh, a team like The Revival, they've they've shown how upset they are oh, with yeah. the creative yeah. team, and they're, they're truly one of the best tag team wrestlers. So They've had to yeah. have Lucha house party rules. So I mean, uh, if yeah. I'm Revival, I would definitely request... Like They should have had the tag titles, I would say, at least two, three times by now. I mean, they should have beat the B team for them way back in the summer. They should have probably beat uh, Rude and Gable. They like they they've had so many opportunities to win it, but WWE Creative has not pulled the trigger on them. I don't know why. I don't know. Like they pulled the trigger on AOP before the revival, which to me is still mind-boggling. I think it's maybe because of uh, the GM they have. Uh, was it Drake Maverick? Yeah. Uh, he 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 carried them and he made them entertaining. But the revival have been so good. They're one of the. They're an old school tag team. Yes, they don't really have a, a, a character. They just kind of go out and, you know, they wrestle. But that's the whole point. But I guess Vince McMahon isn't all about not having a character. So if I'm the Revival, I mean, I would probably take my talents there because, again, like you said, they are already matching WWE's contracts. And I feel like with the contract negotiations going on, I feel the Revival deserve a push. And they deserve probably more money than what they're getting at WWE because they are, like they said, they are tag team wrestling. They they basically are one of the best tag teams in all of professional wrestling. So I think they need the they, they need the love. So why not go to AEW? But for Mike Canales and Maria Canales, I mean, they haven't really been a part of WWE. Yeah. So I, that's not a big loss for me. But Dolph Ziggler, for sure, he's had his time with WWE. I think uh, last year was basically his last year of, re- of relevance and, you know, getting basically TV time every week, which is very sad to say because I've been a huge fan of his since – the early when he was facing Edge for the world title way back in 2011, I was always into Dolph Ziggler, his look, his image, his mic skills. We remember him way back as uh, Nikki from the Spirit Squad. Yeah. So he's been with WWE for a long time. But uh, if this means that he has to go and jump ship, I wouldn't. Um, I, I wouldn't blame him because he's done. I feel like he's done everything in WWE, and they're not going to give him a push now. So the Mike Kanellis one's kind of a head scratcher for me because this is another guy who came off the Indies, uh, Ring of Honor star. And then we thought the jump to 205 Live would be something, and they're still doing nothing with him. So that kind of boggles me. Well, I feel like he he was rolling in in uh, the indies, and then he came to WWE a little bit out of shape. And that was when like Vince and Triple H were like, no. Like, Have you, you seen him now, though? Yeah, he's yeah. good now. I, I've seen him now. He's, he's shredded. That's why they sent him down to 205. But when he came up, he, looked, he didn't look that good. I was like, okay, like give this guy a little bit of time. And they never really... I think they were on TV, what, two weeks in a row? And then after that, you basically didn't hear from him. So. It's stuff with Sami Zayn. I remember that. Yeah. And he came <laughs> right from Impact. Like, in TNA Impact Wrestling, he was actually pretty good. Him and EC3 were like... The miracle. Yeah. <laughs> and they were. he had a good character. So when he got signed to WWE, I thought, 
okay, he'd be good for NXT. He still needs to develop a little bit. He's not there at that level. Then when you see him on the main roster, I'm like, wow, this is weird. And EC3 <laughs> comes back and he's on NXT again. Like that poor guy was there for like five years before he left. So he was. Uh, that's another one for me. And we got to give some love to another match because Rey Mysterio and Andrade. Oh, oh my, my God. These guys had a WrestleMania match on SmackDown on Tuesday. I am not surprised at all because when you look at this match, a lot of people are like, oh, this is like a dream match. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Andrade and Ray because Ray, we all knew a couple of years back, his knees were blown. Like they were, I thought his career was basically done, and then he makes a resurgence. He's working out. He's looking great, the best shape of his life. He made his Rumble return last year, and everyone was like, holy shit, he looks amazing. So... Andrade, we all know he's a main event guy. I've, I've been saying this. I've been saying this for I don't know how long, maybe a year and a half now. Ever since he was in NXT, Zelina Vega just helps his case. And when you have a manager like her, a character like him, in-ring work like him, it just screams SmackDown Live. It screams main event. So to me, it's a matter of time before he is inserted into the WWE Championship picture. In my honest opinion, if I want to book this right, Andrade, you turn face, you face Daniel Bryan for the title. Not only is that a dream match for all of all like wrestling fans like ourselves, but it's a dream match for WWE. I think they can't fuck that up. So you know what? Uh, his English isn't bad either. Yeah, it's not on like Shinsuke's level. He's it's passable. <laughs> so, but again, like the match was fantastic. I knew that Ray was losing. That's what made it even better. I yeah, was like, okay, I know, I know Andrade's point. winning this. Yeah. But what happened to his name? Yeah, they cut out the C and Almas. So I don't, I don't like, I don't like that at all because they've done it with Big E Langston. They've done it with why? It worked with Elias. Yeah, I think that's the only one. Yeah, (laughs) Apollo. Elias Samson. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but no, I, I don't like the Andrade thing. Like yeah. I, I I like the Cien Almas. I think I'd rather have Cien Almas than yeah, Andrade. That adds more to like his name. Like, oh, this guy's like a Mexican. Lucha yeah, Libre exactly. Like, like Cien Almas looks than Andrade. It's like, oh, what the? Is he like Lucha? Like, he looks it, but like Andrade. What is... <laughs> What's the deal here? I don't know. Um, it, it just looks weird, too. Like, when I saw it on like the yeah, it just says Andrade, Andrade. I'm like, like, I'm like oh, this? okay. <laughs> What's going on here in the production? Hey, just because his name change doesn't mean he's not good. He's still one of the best. Yeah, he's still, is. still one of the best. So if these guys, because uh, I was hearing about like Ray, like they want Ray for United States title. Right now, it looks like Andrade with that win over Ray is going to get the next title shot against Rusev or Shinsuke. Oh, that's amazing. So it'll probably be Rusev after the Rumble. So WrestleMania, Ray and Andrade. That to me, not only like you guys are saying, screaming SmackDown star. That screams the opener, and that could be one of the greatest opening matches in WrestleMania history. I mean, again, I've been talking so much about um, Andrade and being, you know, a main event star and you know, rising to the top. I mean. I've seen over the years guys come and go and guys start off really hot and then kind of cool down. But this is a guy where he started off pretty good and then he cooled down and he's had his cool stretch already. So I feel like from here on out, Andrade is just, I think this is the time where he breaks the ceiling and he becomes one of the best people in the industry. Um, I mean, if that's the case, come WrestleMania, when he faces Rey Mysterio or, or if he does, you have to put him over. He has to win. Um, right now we all know that it is Rusev Shinsuke for the U.S. title. I don't know how long that's lasting because I do, I've heard also rumors that Shinsuke may leave. I don't think that's going to happen, but may, it, what, what happens if this is Shinsuke's last main feud, like in WWE? Like, what would we say about Shinsuke's 
run in WWE? Is it a bust? Is it According to most people, it would probably be a bust because if you look at everything he's done before, one of the greatest uh, guys to ever come out of Japan. Oh, yeah, and for then, sure. You know, most people would say failed WWE title run. For me, I loved it because I didn't think we'd ever see him versus Styles for the main title for a solid five months. Kind of a sketchy storyline, but, you know, take it as it is. So I guess it would be a bust. Yeah. Anyone the Rumble. Be, so it's not too much of a bust, but I see, like, what could have been well, a lot more. And then what we got was just a small portion of that. It's just when I looked at Nakamura winning the Rumble and then I saw he was facing Styles and Mania, I'm like, okay, this is either a moment where you have to make Styles lose. But at the same time, Styles is coming off one of the greatest – runs in WWE history. He's coming off beating uh, beating Dean Ambrose for the title. He beat John Cena. Um, he basically beat anybody in his path. And then he came on and he was facing Shinsuke Nakamura. And it's like, okay, Shinsuke just eliminated Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble, getting the biggest pop of his career. He also eliminated John Cena. So the final three was Shinsuke, Roman, and Cena. And when I saw that, I knew right away, I'm like, this guy's not winning. I had no faith in Nakamura. I thought they were going to pull Reigns winning again, but they didn't, thank God. But it's one of those things where you look back on it now and it's like, I don't think Nakamura, I think Nakamura actually benefited losing that match because he did have that feud four months down the line. He kept wrestling him, but at the end of the day, it didn't amount to anything. He didn't win anything. And then they just basically gave it, they just fed Jeff Hardy to him. And it's like, okay. It's like, this is going to make you relevant. I guess that's what they thought, and it just didn't. It didn't do anything for Shinsuke. And then finally, he loses the title to Rusev on uh, the Christmas edition of SmackDown, and I thought that was amazing. And then um, now we're here. So now it's Shinsuke, Rusev, and now you're saying that Andrade and Rey are in the mix for the uh, yeah. for the United States Championship. So why don't you make – why don't you swerve any, everybody? You have Shinsuke beat Rusev, and then you have Andrade turn face – and then at WrestleMania, you have Shinsuke versus Andrade, and then you have Andrade beat Shinsuke, no, and then basically he gets put over, and he's one of the top faces on SmackDown. That's what. Yeah. That's maybe that's what I would. If do. he doesn't leave WWE, Shinsuke, because February him and AJ are both up, and if AJ and Shinsuke are in a negotiation right now, I'm going to Vince McMahon's office and say, "Hey, this is what we want. This is what the other company's offering us. Let's make something work." And if he says, "Hit the road." All right, we will. <laughs> when do you think this contract talk is going to die down a little bit? I think after <laughs> AEW have their first pay-per-view, and then we see like what the production is, how they have a crowd. Like, Can they draw 17,000 people? We've seen them draw 10, but if they can draw a consistent crowd, then it will. I think, I think the contract ex- uh, negotiations are so important now is because it's the most important time. Like yeah. It's Royal Rumble. It's WrestleMania. It's like, okay, this is where I earn my money. This is where I want to be the top guy. And AJ Styles, it's like, I've been doing everything for three years now. I've, I debuted at the Royal Rumble 2016. Ever since then, I haven't looked back. I've beaten legends. I've carried titles. I've done everything. The only thing I haven't done is won the Universal title, basically, and cement himself as a top face on Raw. But that's never going to happen because Drew's there. So Drew's going to be the guy on Raw. But yeah, like contract negotiations now are bigger than ever before because of AEW. You have to blame AEW here. If I'm AJ Styles, I'm going in. It's like, listen, I'm probably the best wrestler in the world. I'm one of the best performers ever. So you have to give me the money I want or else I will walk. I have three other promotions I want me. 
It's like the first actual threat to come out of the States. for yeah. Like, there's been TNA, but, but it hasn't not on that been level. able to offer that money. No. I still don't understand why TNA has never had a shot at beating WWE. Like, if you look back at the stars they've had, it's like, how did this not even come close? It's a little depressing if you look back at the stars <laughs> they had. Like, they had Okada, they had Jeff Hardy, they had RVD, AJ Styles, Samojo in their prime, Bobby Roode in his prime, Kurt Angle in his, the end of his prime. Sting, James Storm, James Storm. They had like so many people. Uh, like, Abyss, Abyss was pretty good too. He was. Um, yeah, OG, they, yeah. Like it's just one. It's just like you look back and it's like AEW is finally coming on as a competitor now, but like TNA should have been a competitor for at least yeah. ten years. Even Christian jumped ship and he went yeah. to TNA, and I was like, that was their glory days, though. That was that was good. I, but they like, still didn't compete with WWE. That's the that's the point. Like, <laughs> that's the closest they came, and they were still like third ranked. And then when Sting was still like in shape, like really good in shape, and even in his late forties, he was good. Like Abyss turned down a WrestleMania match with Undertaker just to stay in TNA. That's like tells you something about the growth that they have there. And then <laughs> they even had Hulk Hogan want to like sign with them. And then once they brought Dixie Carter and said, "Okay, book the show," downhill. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, even like the fact that Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff went to TNA, Ric Flair went to yeah. TNA. I don't know what they saw in TNA at the time, but they're like, oh yeah, maybe we could, we could help, you know, nah. we could, we could beat out WWE. And it's like, no, that never. was the best slash the worst thing to ever happen to them. That's because yeah. they got all those guys. And then the arenas they got them into after like the 10,000 one. Did they do a whole storyline with like Brooke Hogan? Yeah. Oh, and Bully Ray. Oh, my God. The Aces and Eights. They did the same thing with WCW. When Bischoff and Hogan took over, they did the exact same thing they did in 01. And then, yeah, right down the shitter. Do you remember Aces and Eights when they – that was basically what? Like, that was like a Shield kind of thing? Because the Shield happened and then Aces and Eights happened. It's like, like, okay, all right. Like, okay, this is cool. But, yeah, anyway, going back to all the contracts and all that, I just think, uh, yeah, WWE should give AJ and Shinsuke what they want. But I still think Shinsuke should get another quick little run in 2019. I, I wouldn't count him out yet. But Andrade, to me, is he should be the SmackDown MVP come the end of 2019 for me. I just hope uh, if he's going to be inserted in the U.S. title picture that they don't shaft us like they did last year with the fatal four-way. Yeah. Last thing. Like, oh, no, that was cool. And having the wrong guy win. So. The, the, the thi- I think last year why they did that was just to kind of throw people off and I guess give Jinder another rub. I don't like. I don't know what the whole point of that match was too, because like, who was it? It was Orton. It was Jinder. It was Rusev and uh, Bobby Roode. Yeah, was he the champ going into it? No, or- no Orton. Yeah. Orton was champ going into it because he beat him on like SmackDown for it, which was random. But uh, I I remember we were predicting like, oh yeah, Rusev should win this Rusev Day. Like everyone's behind him, and then I think Jinder ended up pinning Rusev <laughs> to win, and I was like. Okay, that was like seven minutes of garbage. Like, that was probably one of the worst U.S. title matches I've seen in a while. And the fans just didn't give a shit. So if you do a Fatal 4-Way again this year with, like, Ray, Shinsuke, Rusev, and Andrade, I feel like they can't they can't mess that up. Like, with the names of, uh, in there, you can't mess that up. They can mess it up because they'll give them, like, five minutes, and then they'll cram everything into that. That's exactly yeah. what happened last year. I still don't understand the whole booking with WrestleMania being what a five-hour show and you have five-minute matches. How Seven is that a thing? The pre-show. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. it's way too much. Yeah. Like, look. Oh my! I gotta bring this up. WrestleMania 32 or 33. Well, I don't remember. 33. Corbin and Ambrose. Why was that not on the show? 
I don't get that. That was for the title? Yes. The IC title on the pre-show of the biggest... Oh, my God. Don't forget Neville and Austin Aries pre-show. Oh, my God. The greatest man ever. I don't understand that. How is a show seven hours and the Intercontinental title is not on the show? Neville is not on the show. How is that a thing? Blame Triple H's fucking 18-minute entrance. <laughs> you know, I, you know what? Match. You know what? This is where I'm gonna I'm gonna voice my opinion. Special entrances should not be a thing anymore. And if they are, just leave it for the main event. Yeah. That is it. Or the Undertaker. I like it, it unless you're the Undertaker or Triple H. Because they do like Holy movie things and no, it's Triple like, H is overdone and all these motorcycles. The, and the Terminator thing. Yeah, like, fuck off, man. <laughs> we get it. You're the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's cool when you switch certain things up for different events, but there should be a line. Yeah. Like you can't take that long. Like Come okay, on. I'm trying to remember. Like Punk had a special one that was pretty cool. The live performance. Randy Orton had it. Cena's had it numerous years. Rusev had it that year. Like just kind of tone down a bit on it. Just yeah. like even Lesnar. Like when he came out for the main event, it was just his fireworks. It was nothing special. Yeah. Just do that. Don't fucking have skeletons and divas behind you and like. <laughs> I just don't get the whole themed entrance. Like the rock and flow rider, that was horrible. Like just get get his entrance on. Let's go to the ring. Let's go. Like <laughs> Sasha Banks did it. Oh yeah, should Snoop Dogg. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Like that's why people like Dean Ambrose voice their their you know their their problems within the company. It's like listen, I was one of the brightest stars in 2015. I headlined a lot of pay per views, and then when WrestleMania comes, the day where I want to have my moment, pre show. Like, what? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> No way. No way. That's unacceptable. But again, if they give that match five minutes, I'm walking out. Like if it is those four and it's five minutes, I'll be like, what? why? I don't get it. It's the U.S. title curse. So oh, because we're going to have Triple H face Batista in the sub-main event that's going to be 35 minutes and the entrances are going to oh be 12 God, minutes each. have an Avengers entrance. Batista's involved. There goes another 25 minutes. Holy you got to get shit. all the Avengers cast in there. Iron Man coming out on the stage and everyone coming to the ring and the Guardians of the Galaxy makeup. It's like five minutes from every other match. Yeah. He won't even be Batista. He'll be the character in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah there you go. Like that. Fuck's sake. new Batista. But yeah, I, I, going back to what we were talking about with Andrade, I just think it's his time. Yeah. I think he should win the U.S. title soon. It would be a good passing of the torch. Rey Mysterio being the Mexican star of like the 90s and 2000s. Andrade, the future Mexican star. Be good for their market in Mexico. The one movie. thing that I'm worried about, though, is Rey's reaction if he beats Rusev. Like I, I don't know how that would, how that would pan out with the crowd. Like, what do you think? How, how do you think that would pan out? It's just to win the U.S. title. I think. Well, he's he's always been really popular. But like, there's a certain uh, like fans like us want to see the future. Yes. And then there's another section of the fan base that loves nostalgia. Well, I love nostalgia too, but to a certain point where it's like I don't want them winning titles. At the same time, though, when you look at Ray, he's arguably the best he's ever looked. Yeah. He, yeah. So it's kind of like a best of both worlds kind of thing. I, I still think he'll get a large reaction, but I personally I want to see Andrade win it. For sure, hundred percent. I agree. I agree out. with that. Yeah. The future's now. Should be now. That's it. But guys, uh, so wrestling, we're good with that. Good with wrestling. So uh, NBA, Chris. I know this is going to be a nice topic for you to talk about, but Friday night marks the return of Boogie Demarcus Cousins in the Golden State uniform. His first game. After signing in the summer for what nothing oh, for, for McDonald's coupons, what did he sign for? I think it was like two mil. 
Oh, it was it was nothing. It was nothing. And he could have got a max deal. So. It was like a Tyson Chandler contract. It's like here, join our team. It's like okay, he's an cool. All star, right? The gold a- medal winner. So, what do you think on Boogie Cousins coming back, and how good do you think the Golden State Warriors are going to be? Ah, uh, well, to start, Steph Curry is probably one of the hottest players in the game right now. That's one thing. Klay Thompson, another guy that could drop 10 threes a game. KD, we all know he's MVP potentially. And then you have DeMarcus Cousins come back Friday. And I've been saying this for maybe two years now. Golden State is the best team in the NBA. There's no one that's close to them. And now that Cousins is coming back, I would not be surprised if they go undefeated the whole year. Like from here on out, I would not be surprised, mark my words, if they don't lose a single game. James Harden, we all know he's been dropping, what, 50 points every game. He broke Kobe's record for the most 30-point games in a row. I think it was like 20 or 19, something like that. But Steph Curry, KD, and Klay Thompson the other night, just those three players alone dropped 51 points in a quarter. So just imagine with DeMarcus Cousins coming back, and apparently he has improved his three-point shooting. Imagine now what he's probably now the third splash bro to come into the lineup. He's going, obviously, he's going to get a little more touches, you know, like so Clay and them are going to get a little less points every game. Draymond Green, I don't even know if he's going to get any points anymore. Maybe he'll get like five a game and he'll be, he'll be happy with that. But I remember, uh, I think it was last night or two nights ago, they interviewed Draymond Green and they're like, oh, so, um, you know, you guys won another one. You guys beat the Nuggets handily. Um, they're probably your best competition right now, other than the Rockets. What are your thoughts on your success? And he's like, well, Right now, we're rolling, and DeMarcus is coming back Friday, so every team's nightmare is just beginning. And when I saw that, I'm like, this guy not only is a piece of shit, <laughs> but he does have a point that when DeMarcus Cousins comes back, there's no looking back, and they're going to win, I think, another a third straight NBA title because DeMarcus Cousins, when healthy, is a top-five center in the game. You have a top-five point guard. You have one of the best shooters I've ever seen in Curry. You have one of the best – offensive powerhouses in KD um so sky's the limit for this team what do I expect when Boogie comes back I don't expect him to really light up the stat sheet right away but I think he's going to get around 18 he's going to get double doubles maybe 18 points 11 rebounds a game and I I have no idea I really have no words for what we're going to see I think it's going to be something that we haven't seen in a while. I mean, we did see the 73-9 and Warriors lose in the NBA Finals. I didn't think that would happen. I mean, do I want to see Golden State lose? Fuck yeah. I don't want to see them win again. But with DeMarcus Cousins now coming back fully rested, fully... He's been out for, what, like maybe a year almost. Yeah. It's been like 10 months. So he's he should be ready to go now. Like, KD hasn't even been that hot lately. And Curry is now dropping like 10... I think he's the first player in NBA history to drop 10 plus threes in three straight games, which is absurd. That is dumb. But again, I don't want to discredit James Harden's work this year. I think he's been absolutely outstanding for Houston. He's an MVP in my, in my eyes at least, but again, it doesn't matter what Houston does because Golden State is going to run them over. Golden State is going to run any team over. That's my honest opinion. And I'm a Raptor fan. Kawhi Leonard is one of the greatest in the game. Kyle Lowry, one of the heart and soul guys in the whole NBA. If they go into the finals, I'll say Golden State in four or five. And I, I'm I'm saying that, and we have one of the best players in the game 
So with the Marcus Cousins coming back, it's no looking back, and I think Golden State is going to win their third straight. You know what I think is going to happen? I think eventually they're going to be happy now. Everyone's good. DeMarcus Cousins in the lineup. Oh, you got a three tonight. Once they lose a game, once DeMarcus Cousins doesn't get the touches, once Draymond Green starts getting in the dressing room and just challenging everyone, saying you have to get back on defense, this and that, goes up to KD and says, what the hell are you doing there? They're just going to destroy each other. Well, we, we, we have seen earlier in the season that the chemistry has kind of destroyed them a bit. Like yeah. Remember that whole KD Draymond thing? Yeah. And they lost like four of the five. So that that is a possibility. So just wait to the playoffs, and then because Draymond Green has this in his hand, like back pocket, they won championships and went seventy three and nine without KD or Demarcus Cousins. They're gonna both be free agents, so I think they're just gonna say, you know what? If we lose this year, so what? We'll be a laughing stock next year. We're still got our big three. KD can go play in New York, and Demarcus Cousins can go anywhere else and destroy another team. But yeah, I think. Right, that, their dressing room is what they have to manage because that's what might defeat them at the end of the day. I just feel like in in the NBA, ego is a big part, and it's a big part of a lot of teams' downfalls. Like, look what happened with Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Uh, like, basically, he was the he was the type of guy where he wanted to lead a team. We see him that he's leading Boston now, but uh, when he was in Cleveland and LeBron was leading them, he's like, oh, I like I want to be the leader. Like, I don't understand why. This guy's, you know, he's coaching, you know, he's trying to be the coach, he's managing us, he's managing me, I don't like it. So if if this happens in Golden State where, let's say, KD gets the last touch or he gets the last three touches and he gets the last three shots and Cousins is like, I wanted one of those shots and we see like, you know, a, a bicker and bat, like a war of words, then I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it can affect Golden State. But again, I feel like at the end of the day, they're all pros. And I think they all know what their role is on the team. I, like, look, DeMarcus Cousins signed for two mil. He's probably coming to the team. He's like, okay, I've been injured for half the year. I'm coming to this team. I'm going to play, what, like 20 regular season games. Then I'm going to go in the, the playoffs and do my thing. Like, I, I feel like if an ego trip were to happen with any of them, I feel like uh, Steve Kerr would definitely step in and be like, listen, guys, like, you guys are arguably the t- like the best five on a team, on the floor at once that we've ever seen. So yeah. you guys got to kind of just simmer down. And Steve Kerr could also relate too. Like he's played with Pippen, Jordan, all those guys. Yeah. So it's like I, like he could easily say to Cousins, like, listen, Cousins, I played with Michael Jordan. I didn't get a lot of touches either, but you didn't see me complaining. I was winning titles and I was doing my thing. So again, this is a thing where you look at the coaching relationship and Steve Kerr, it's like, what are the odds that a guy like Steve Kerr that was in Cousins and Draymond and KD's shoes right now, is coaching them and saying, yeah, don't worry, everything will be fine. You're not getting the touches you want. It's all good. We all know how much of a superstar you are. So, like, it's amazing how, basically, I'm not saying it panned out perfectly for Golden State. I'm just saying that if an ego trip were to happen, they have the perfect coach to tell them. It's like, listen, it's not about touches. It's about your role on the team. And I can tell you right now, Boogie, your role on this team is very limited because we have the offensive powerhouses like Katie, Curry, Thompson. So, again, ego trips could happen. You know, they can lose. I I, I would love to see an upset, but I just don't see it happening. I think the star power is out of this world. And um, with with Boogie Cousins coming back, I think he's going to ball out, and I think they're going to be very dangerous. But they're already dangerous. I'm going to get Pinello in this because uh, last night – Boston and Toronto played, and all we hear from 
the state, Stephen A. Smith, the Celtics, the Celtics, the Celtics. Oh, Jason Tatum did this. Or, oh, they got Kyrie. Kyrie's balling out. Oh, my God. He thinks the earth is flat or whatever. He's amazing. They got Gordon Hayward. They beat the Raptors last night. The Raptors are still first. But now we're hearing, oh, the Celtics are going to come in now. Once they get in the playoffs, they'll beat the Raptors. Do you still think the Raptors, like, have a chance to just go through if they face Boston? I still think the Raptors are the number one team in the East, regardless of what happens for the rest of the year during the regular season. But Boston, I think they would be one of those teams you have to look out for because of those impact names that they have. Yeah, it's basically, uh, it's all about coming out and doing what you have to do. And that is what Kyrie Irving does. He comes out when he knows the, the when the lights are shining the brightest, he comes out and he does what he does and he hits the game winning fadeaways. Last night, they were, what, they were up by only two or they were down two, and he pulled up at, like, almost half, mind you, Kawhi Leonard's hand in his face, yeah. and he got it in. So it's like Kyrie Irving was is one of the most clutch guys in the NBA. That's why I think Stephen A. Smith is saying, oh, Boston's yeah. the best team because they have Kyrie. Like, this guy could drop 35 points in two quarters in the third and fourth quarter and win them a game. Jason Tatum, one of the the best – up-and-coming talents but you know what's funny they don't talk about Jalen Brown you know why because yeah. Jalen Brown is non-existent on this Boston team if yeah. I'm Jalen Brown I'm asking for a trade because like he's non-existent another team I want to bring up that no that no one gives love to is Brooklyn yeah Brooklyn's a team they just beat Houston the other night and like I remember James Harden he threw the ball he was pissed he was really mad it was double OT Spencer Dinwiddie did his thing in this in overtime he got the last seven points Brooklyn is a team that doesn't get enough love. I mean, we know how shit they've been for like five, six years. But D'Angelo Russell's been amazing this year. Karis LeVert, mind you, he got injured earlier on in the year. He's looking like he could be a star. Spencer Dinwiddie looks good. Jared Allen is basically blocking every big name player in the in the. I was just saying the WWE <laughs> in in the NBA. He's blocking Giannis, Harden, LeBron, Curry, Kate. He's blocking everybody. So you have the defensive ability of Jared Allen. You have now the two – this guy's turning into a two-way superstar and D'Angelo Russell finally because the bright lights are off him in L.A. And now he's in Brooklyn where it's like, okay, we don't have a lot of expectation for you. Brooklyn is a team where it's like, oh, they're not going to come top five in the East. No no way. But like they're going to ease D'Angelo Russell into being the guy on that team. It's like this is your team. You know it's your team. Do what you got to do. And uh, the results will come. And I think Brooklyn is a team that is on their way up. And no one talks about them. No one talks about Brooklyn. No one talks about D'Angelo Russell. I think a lot of people forget that he went second overall in the draft. No one talks about that. Another guy that went third overall in the draft that no one talks about anymore because he's not in the league is Jalil Okafor. I mean, I know he's on the Pelicans, but he doesn't play. So, I mean, when Stephen A. Smith and those guys talk about Boston and beating Toronto – I think they only say that not only to get a spark out of, you know, Canada, like the whole Canadian culture, but they get a spark out of like us fans. And because a lot of people, they've been on the Toronto bandwagon now for about a year and a half, you know, Kawhi Leonard coming to the, everyone's like, Oh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, he's a big name. I love him. Let's go for the Raptors. They've come so close to going to the finals and they never do it. But now that they have Kawhi Leonard, maybe they can go to the finals. So I feel like Stephen A. Smith wants to go against all those fans and be like, yeah, you have Kawhi Leonard, but you're going to basically fall flat again because of Kyrie Irving, because of Jason Tatum, or maybe even because of Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah. like guys like that. 
Mind you, I didn't even mention Indiana and Oladipo because Oladipo, when he goes off, Pinello mentioned last year, he thinks that the Pacers should have beat the Cavs in the yeah, first round, and I think they should have yeah. too. Oladipo was a star, still is. But for me, the East is open to maybe three, four teams. I'll say the Bucks, even um, the Wizards. Like the other night, the Raptors almost lost to the Wizards because of Bradley Beal. He dropped a triple-double, 50 points. Yeah. Beal's been better than John Wall this year by a mile. But... um. I I definitely give it to either the Raps, the Celtics, or the Bucks, but at the end of the day, the Warriors I think are winning it all. That's just my opinion. Bringing it on earlier with Cousins, I feel like he's going to shut it down. Draymond's going to get five points a game, and then they're just going to give the ball to Curry and KD, and they're going to drop forty a game. So I I wouldn't even be surprised if they rest like guys like KD and Curry the last like ten games of the year. I really wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, moral victory, at least for the Raptors, if they make it to the finals. No. But speaking of Toronto, uh, get to the ice now because you guys saw, you guys were in the arena for the Leafs and Avs game. And my God, poor Jake Gardner. If everything was going so smooth. I mean, the first period was, was pretty good. It wasn't bad. And then the second period came and we were flying out of the gate. We, we got the early goal from Kapanen. And then uh, who scored the second one? Oh. It got waved off. Was it uh, was it Lindholm or y- Janssen? Was it Janssen? It was an offside though, right? So why they waved it off? Yeah, it was Janssen. Janssen yeah, scored Janssen. offside, and then like oh, so I, yeah, I didn't even see that was offside. Yeah. And then they Lindholm it, scored. Yeah, two minutes later, they called it. Oh yeah, it was offside. <laughs> <laughs> like, then they took the uh, penalty. The or they give him a penalty or no no just there? no it just uh, went like to the offside oh, area yeah, there. So it went offside and. Yeah, they took the goal off and they started again face off. Like and then the, and, and it was the next play we scored. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit, should be three nothing. Yeah. And then from that point on, it was just downhill, like complete downhill. If you guys haven't watched my cousin Steve's pod or uh, my cousin Steve's YouTube video, it basically describes the whole game. He was losing his shit, kind of like the Nashville game. I swear to God, you got to go back and watch oh, it. That's, that's bad. One. It's on that level. <laughs> He was, so basically in the whole video he's like he's like i'm done defending gardner like i'm done like like he like alino just talk let's talk about jake gardner for a second because i know you had a couple questions to ask yeah because like this isn't the first time this has happened uh Pinello's favorite moment of 2018 was the leafs in boston and jake gardner was heavily involved in that goal that gave boston the win and i don't know what do you guys he's a 50 uh, point defensemen don't just come out of nowhere and people are booing him everywhere he goes. Every time he touches a puck, now what's the deal here? Like, do you want to trade him? Like, he's is he valuable? You think still to the Leafs? I do think he's valuable because, like you said, there are not a lot of fifty-point defensemen out there. Every now and then, he'll just he'll seem to throw a muffin up the middle, and then everyone kind of forgets that he plays twenty-five minutes a game, and that he's always making these beautiful stretch passes and. He does a lot for our team, and it, it, it kind of baffles me that no one really sees it because they just focus on the little mistakes that everyone makes throughout yeah. the game. It's just – it's one of those one of those games where um, Kadri had a pretty bad uh, – remember when Ranton and pickpocket oh, – he yeah. pickpocketed him so easily and then scored. So that, there's one mistake there that kind of got the fans aggravated. But – the the shorthanded thing with Soderberg and out hustling Gardner and then scoring, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, yes, Gardner plays 25 minutes. Yes, he gets 50 points a year. But in moments like that, where it's a w- simple one-on-one battle and you have the power play, you have to use your body 
the right way. He just basically lunged one way, and Soderbergh dodged it, and then he out-muscled him and scored, and the rest was history. Soderbergh actually ended up getting a hat-trick this game, so good for him. But um, again, when it comes to mistakes with the Leafs, a lot of people make mistakes. You know, we've in the game, Matthews at times looked invisible. Like, he looked like he wasn't even there. But I don't know what it is with Gardner. The mistakes he makes are, like, eye-popping, like, beyond belief. Like, they're the mistakes that everyone looks at and it's like, that is god-awful. Like, that is the worst mistake you can make. Like, no one talks about Kadri's stick lift and they score. No one really talks about that. Last game, uh, I was talking uh, – do you remember that play by Dermott? Behind the net when he like he uh, he uh, oh it popped out in front and it po- like he basically yeah. tried cycling it oh, he Lord. thought Riley or someone was behind him and like, he just dropped it off and like the Colorado guy came out <laughs> cycled it around put it in front and then it hit the crossbar and it hit Dermot's stick and like he saved the goal so everyone was like oh he saved the goal it's like but he basically just <laughs> passed it to the guy and he and they almost went in like no one talks about Dermot's mistakes no one to- talks about Oshaganov's mistakes. Heck, Zaitsev makes like five mistakes a game. No, okay. that's two. That's he's got a nice we'll contract. That <laughs> yeah, so he can't get rid of that. It's like when I hear fans booing Gardner, and it's like, listen, we get it. He's the game seven. We get it. He was a minus five. He was a big part of you know the loss. He he admitted it. He's a pro. He admitted to his problems. But you can't be booing a guy that plays twenty five minutes a night. The last two years of his career, he has become one of the more consistent offensive D in the league. Yeah. He doesn't get injured that often. So, again, when our D, our D are shallow as fuck. Like, you look at our D. Who are the guys that are, like, in the press box? Borgman? Yeah. Like, Borgman is actually in the A. So, who the hell is in the press box? I don't think anybody. Nobody right Oshiganov, now. Oshiganov, I think. No, he's Oshiganov, playing. He's playing. So, I think we have 6D right now. Yeah. They so, if they were to get injured... Who do you send up? Borgman? Rosen? Yeah, probably Laverde? Rosen, yeah. Maybe Marinson. Like, these guys are man. garbage, though. <laughs> I've seen them live. Like, Jordan Subban actually impressed me, but he, I don't think he's getting called up. But that's the <laughs> point. Like, you have to appreciate Gardner being healthy for this yeah. long. You look at our D. If Riley gets hurt, we're screwed. Yeah, we're actually screwed. Bad. Like, you know what I mean? Even if you look at Gardner, like, if you take him out, Everyone just assumes we'll move Dermot there, and that's probably the plan. But he still has to adjust to playing an extra five, six minutes a night and getting that power play time. It's not going to be easy. And then Ron Hainsey's there, right? That's the other guy. Yeah, but again, like you said, Dermot is – like when I, – I do think Gardner's leaving. I think that's yeah, obvious. But sure. when Dermot finally gets that top four spot or even top two spot, maybe come next year, he's got to adjust his game. I mean – Come this offseason, his conditioning has to go up because he needs to play five minutes more a night. He's got to, if, he, if they want him to be an uh, offensive defenseman, he has to, you know, adjust and he has to play power play minutes. Is Babcock just going to throw Dermot in power play? No, he's not. Because mind you, we have guys like Lilgren who could come up and just yeah. basically get thrown right into the power play because they are all offense. So when Gardner leaves eventually, I feel like the fans are like, they don't appreciate him. And it pisses me off because, again, he plays 25 minutes a night. He's a great complimentary defenseman to Morgan Riley because Morgan Riley, we know he's that offensive machine right now, but he's probably one of our better defensive D too. Like yeah. people don't talk about Morgan Riley's defensive game enough. That's my opinion because when I watched him 
uh, on Monday, he was shutting. He had to shut down the top line. He has to shut down the top line every night, yeah. and he's doing a pretty good job with it. So again, the other night, McKinnon didn't get a point. Brantanen, I think he had a nice goal. But other than that, I mean, they shut down the first line pretty well. It was the fourth line that gave the Leafs problems. Soderberg. But at the end of the day, we have to accept that everyone makes mistakes. And Gardner will make mistakes. It's Jake Gardner, for God's sake. We saw him last year. He makes mistakes. No one talks about Nikita Zaitsev's mistakes. We just signed him to, what, a a five-year deal? Seven-year deal? Seven-year deal. And, like, no, no one talks about how bad he's been. His first year was great. He had 39 points. He looked great. Ever since that payday, I don't know. I think he has more block shots than points. Probably. Like it's just one. It's one of those things where it's like, like Zaitsev to me is a head scratcher, but to a lot of others, Gardner's the head scratcher, and I don't. I don't understand why. Zaitsev kind of fell off when he returned from injury, and it was around playoff time, and like it obviously gets more physical, and you're watching him play, and he just looks like three steps behind. Yeah. And ever since then, even his speed looks off. off. He looks slow. And he's a he's an above average skater too, so maybe for the rest of the year, maybe break him and Gardner up because yeah, it's not working. <laughs> you know what I would maybe do? I'd maybe put Hainsey with Gardner because they haven't done that. Would you want to mess with that top pairing though? I mean, is there anyone on the team that can kind of like benefit more with Hainsey's play? Because I feel like Gardner can benefit from Hainsey. But if because uh, Hainsey, Hainsey's with uh, Riley, so. Yeah. If you move him, who are you going to put with Riley so that Mo can jump up every other shift? Well, who, who, yeah, I was just saying who's like the, who's the mo, who's the closest defensive D? It's Oshiganov probably, but he's not, <laughs> not even sure about. Yeah. That. So this is why there's a void in the back. We can all agree the defense is bad, and trade deadline's going to be coming up in like a couple months. And there's a team out there that's like Peter Shirelli. Oh my God, the moves he makes. Magician, amazing. What? Taylor Hall (laughs) for uh, Larson, amazing. Oh, yeah. GM of the year right there. And then he traded Jordan Eberle for, was it Strom? What is this guy getting at? Are you saying we're going to trade with Edmonton? Please say no. This is the time that the Leafs get back at Peter Shirelli for not uh, accepting the Phil Kessel and the draft pick as a protected pick. Oh, he brings it up. Yeah. It should have been a protected first-round pick that Brian Burke wanted. And Shirelli said, no, you have to pay up the two first-rounders. So Brian Burke, the nice guy that he is, said, okay, we'll give you the two first-rounders for Phil. It's payback time. I think now that uh, Edmonton needs a forward, Toronto has Connor Brown, who spent time in the Erie Otters, who is his teammate, Connor McDavid. They're on the same line, got a bunch of points. Connor Brown even got more points than McDavid that one year. Who does Edmonton have on defense that would help the Leafs? Darnell Nurse. Could we see Darnell Nurse for Connor Brown, add in a package, throw in picks, whoever from the Marlies? I'm speechless with that one. I mean, I know Shirelli's a bad GM, but I would never trade Darnell Nurse. I would never. Connor Brown, 20-goal scorer, (laughs) up and down the line of chemistry with Connor McDavid. This is some things like Shirelli would say, oh, my God. I, I, like I will, okay, I will, I will make a trade proposal and yeah. or a trade prediction for that matter. And it would be – I would kind of make it seem like it would be like a Brown, yeah. Kapanen, a first, and maybe Gardner for Nurse. Better get Pulley Arby back. <laughs> what is that? I'll say, <laughs> I'll say Nurse, a third, and Yamamoto or something like that because – I'm telling you right now, Darnell Nurse's trade value for me is through the roof. I feel like he's one of those guys on Edmonton that he can't be moved. 
Like, I don't know because when you traded for Adam Larson, yeah. <laughs> what Shirelli wanted out of Adam Larson is what that. Darnell Nurse is doing right now. Yeah. And uh, Adam Larson, I love him. He used to be a devil. Top five pick. He's uh, he's not that good. And um, the game's only getting quicker. And he's not getting that much quicker. So I think he's not any better than a top four D in this league. And Darnell Nurse, to me, now that his offense is finally... His offensive game is getting pretty better now. It's getting more consistent. Like My brother, you, we all know Nick, is a huge Darnell Nurse fan. I've been a Darnell Nurse fan since the World Junior days when he was averaging 28 minutes a night. And he was a savior for Canada. So... If the Leafs trade for Darnell Nurse, I would throw the parade. I would literally throw a parade because Darnell Nurse to me is his value is through the roof. Like, can you agree with me on that? I can, and that's why if I'm Peter Shirelli, I'm laughing in both of your faces for those trade proposals. He's an amazing GM, though we've seen <laughs> in the past. So that might he got uh, Adam Larson for Taylor Hall and said that's an amazing deal. He's not a sexy defenseman, but he's gonna help us win a cup. I'm doing it. He actually signed the paperwork and he was like, he actually had a parade. He got Gretzky in the box. He's like, yeah, Wayne, we're gonna do it. My biggest question to you guys is who's the worst GM, Bergevin or Shirelli? Oh, I think Shirelli is. Uh, at least Bergevin got Shea Weber, <laughs> like. But he traded PK. I know, but Weber is like a top two when healthy two, defenseman. Two Canadian teams. You got to love him. <laughs> oh, my Another God. Another trade that happened, though, I want to talk about is Luke Shen. What happened to him? Bust. Sucks. This one hits home for, for us. Auto. He is not, he just He's that type of defenseman that he was a generation too late. Yeah. He came in the league too late. I mean, if he, came, if he got drafted in like 2001 or 2000, sure, he would have been amazing. He would have been like a Chris Pronger. But, like, he came into the in a league where the speed just – it overcame him and he couldn't keep up and now he's a AHL. And I think it didn't help, too, that when he got drafted to the Leafs, they put him right away. Even though he had a good preseason, they should have sent him down to the um, CHL and whatever league he was playing at the time or where he got traded. But I think that's what, like, ruined his whole development because he had to adjust to that speed and I don't think his body adjusted with him. And I think it hurt his career from that. I think with the offense too, they were they were kind of delusional because he played with Tyler yeah. Myers and his stats kind of didn't translate to the player he actually was. So they thought they were getting someone a little bit better offensively, but turns out he wouldn't be anything more than the human eraser. It's just like you look at a lot of big name guys that like they're very quick and it's like it's rare to see that. Like Reinen, he's big, he's fast. You don't see that like very often. Jamie Ben, big, fast. Ryan Getzlav, not the fastest, but he's adjusted to his game. He's a legend. We all know that. Um, it's just, it's a shame to see it happen because it's a similar path has kind of gone down. Like Dion Phaneuf has kind of gone down the same path where he used to be amazing, incredible. And now he's no more than maybe like a fourth, fifth defenseman on a team where he's playing about like 18 minutes a night and he's shutting people down. Because nowadays, it's all about offense in this NHL. We've seen it. Look at how many guys that are over a point a game. Look at Morgan Riley. Look at Giordano. Look at Burns. Look at Carlson. Look at Latang. All these guys are getting about 40 and 45 right now. So, like, Luke Shen, I think his offensive potential was never really truly looked at appropriately. Like you said, he was being compared to Tyler Myers, and it's like, Tyler Myers was a completely different player. He's still a pretty damn good player now, but again, 
even now he's not that off- offensive D that we thought he'd be. And then Shen, even during that World Juniors, he played with Doughty. So I think they're seeing, oh, he played with Drew Doughty on the pairing. They're getting this unbelievable top two shutdown guy. Even Drew Doughty for me. A lot of people have said over the years this guy's going to get 70 points. It's going to be a complete D. He's still one of the best D in the game, if not the best defenseman. But he's getting 50 points. Yeah. No more than 55. So a lot of people, um, I don't know what it is with defensemen like over the years. But they definitely uh, they need to reanalyze uh, them coming into the year like or coming into their careers. Because Luke Shen was that type of guy. A lot of people were thinking, oh, this guy's going to be a D on Phaneuf 2.0. Maybe even better. But it just didn't pan out because... The game was too quick. I think we traded him at the perfect time, JVR. So we got another young stud for him before Shen uh, lost all his value, and it worked out for us. <laughs> Thank God. But before we end this podcast, Anaheim, they are terrible. They've lost, what, 12 in a row now? <laughs> Good one, yeah, Randy. Good one. <laughs> they just trade. They just – I think they made like four roster moves, and they traded – Yeah, Cogliano. They, got, they traded Cogliano. They traded uh, Luke Shen, like you said. Uh, didn't they just get Delzato too? Yeah, that was Delzato in a seventh rounder, I think. So, like, I get what they're trying to do here with the roster move and trying to spark something, but this team has finally... It's kind of like L.A. and Chicago, where they've been winning for so long, and it's like, when is this team going to hit that that bump in the row? When are they finally going to go downhill? When are guys like Getzlav and Perry and the guys that have been carrying this team for so long going to slowly decline and slowly fade away into obscurity? I'm not saying they're in obscurity. I'm just saying yeah. you've lost 12 in a row. That's it's not good. When you look at that roster, though, do you seem like they're a team that would go on a streak like that? No. Because they still have a lot of really good names. Their defense is like their depth on defense is scary. Like their D was Gibson. their D was talked about like the way Calgary was is talked about now with Lindholm and Fowler and a young Theodore coming up. Well, and then you had Montour Manson. with the breakout last year, Manson yeah. last year with the breakout. Jakob Larson hasn't even played yet. He's coming up. Mahura, another guy. So like they have D. It's just I don't know what I don't know what's going on with this team. John Gibson. That guy was Vesna favorite about yeah. a week ago. This guy hasn't won a game since. But again, he's still putting up solid numbers. He's averaging like a 920 save. I think he has like five shutouts. So like, I don't know what's going on with this team. So they still have a lot of names. Maybe enough to. Com- I don't. I don't think this winning streak is like they're falling to the bottom of the standings. I think they can still compete. But if you're them, do you look at like a retool kind of? Well, I think that that's what they're trying to do because they brought up Max Jones and Troy Terry, who are two young guys. That have a lot of potential, and they've been apparently they've been killing the AHL. So I think it's now it's like okay, you're young, we're losing, we'll we'll throw you in the fire quickly. And apparently they want to get rid of they want to get rid of Ryan Kessler, which yeah, to me is a no brainer. <laughs> they have to, but that contract is yeah. a joke. So good luck with that. When's the last time he, is he playing now? Yeah, I think he is. I think is he's it, like third line. Every time I look at the roster, he's just he's always yeah. on the IR. I don't know if it's just like a lucky for him. <laughs> then he, they got rid of him. For me, so. the only bright spots on that team are uh, Andre Casse, uh, Ricard Raquel, and Nick Ritchie this year. And I thought I never thought I'd be saying that Nick Ritchie's a success. And I don't even think Raquel's performing to what he should be, honestly. He, his assists have gone up, but his goals, he's not yeah, scoring enough. But yeah, that's about it for this week. I mean, uh, next week we'll talk about the Royal Rumble. We'll talk about any more updates within the NBA NHL world. 
And Alino, finish it off, my guy. Yeah, we'll even uh, let's do some fantasy NHL trades next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at ITZ Podcast or ITZ underscore podcast. Follow us iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. We're now on CastBox. That's new. SoundCloud, MixCloud. Just look for it. Type in In The Zone Podcast, and we'll see you next week. All the outlets.